You're listening to DraftKings Network. All right, Christian. Uh, this is exciting. Uh, this is the first time we've spoken to a general manager. Mm-hmm. You know, other than that time that the general manager of the pizza shop kicked me out. Right. I did speak to him. Pretty apologies. standard. This is a little different. <laughs> uh, this is an absolute honor. Uh, this is the first time we're speaking to an MLS GM uh, all the way from Nashville. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the one, the only, the general manager of your Nashville, uh, Nashville SC. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Jacobs, everybody. Mike, what's up, man? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, all right. The excitement starts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Like, like Alexis mentioned, we are. Uh, this is the first time we're speaking to an MLS GM, so uh, we're we're gonna ask probably you know some advanced questions, some basic questions like what what do you do? Right? Wait, you wait. You brought advanced questions, dude. <laughs> uh, I'm not prepared for that. At all. Did, Alexis didn't study for this exam. <laughs> uh, but we're I, I, excited uh, for you to be here because uh, one, I know you're from New York. Uh, and so this is your opportunity, obviously, to uh, reconnect with family uh, and come out here and hang out a little bit. It's all, you're also probably in a good mood. Nashville just won the U.S. Open Cup match in a, in a, a thrilling comeback. Uh, so I guess the general question, what are the vibes like? What do you do when you get back to New York? It's, uh, it's awesome to kind of come back and see family. Uh, definitely try to get back as often as possible. And you know, a lot depends on what's going on back in Nashville with work. If I can kind of escape for a weekend at a time and, you know, worked out now or schedule, it's a pretty congested fixtures list. But, you know, with Open Cup uh, just uh, the other day, opening the Geodis Park, our new stadium, it right, uh, gave me a chance, you know, with our team out of town in Houston, rather than travel with them, I figured I'd come home for a couple of days and see family. Just grab a slice, throw a bunch of slices in the, in the carry-on. <laughs> Dude, I mentioned it. Like, I went right, right to Pizza Suprema yeah. uh, earlier, right? Uh, 138th and 8th, right to here. So, right. Yeah. You don't mess around with that. Boom. Hurry up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, it's one of the things, like, Nashville has, like, from what we know, I've never been, but from what we know, it has, like, a live music vibe. Everyone's there to party. Bachelorette party. Right? It's a lot of fun. It's a fun town. But off camera, we spoke. You were like, there's not a slice to be had in the whole place. <laughs> yeah, the, the city is awesome. Uh, the vibe from the standpoint, it's like uh, Vegas. Uh, you know, it's, it's replaced Vegas. It's like the bachelor and bachelorette capital of the world. Yeah, really. Like, yeah, so it's you know it's, it's all always... I, when you say that all I hear is a bunch of people wooing, and I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> Look, we're stand up comics, so when when there's a bachelorette a, a bachelor party at a comedy club, it that's is essentially a bed bug infestation for comedy. <laughs> it is the worst night of comedy yeah. that you're gonna experience. I see when a comedian walks in, they'll be like, "It's a bachelorette party." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> nobody wants to perform that night." Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we, you know, now obviously we fly charter flights with our teams, but when we used to fly commercial at a BNA. Uh, on a Friday, uh, the airport, you had uh, all these chicks with themed jerseys or shirts. Oh, you yeah. Know, like a, right. a sash for the bachelorette, uh, you know, like all like wide eyed and fuzzy tailed. <laughs> yeah. Come back on a Sunday, B&A, it's like beat up. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It stinks like a still alcohol. <laughs> it's like a scene from Hangover. There's someone holding onto a chair. Holy <laughs> cow. Yeah. To, yeah, People not... look like it's like lost time. Yeah. 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 It, becomes, it becomes Port Authority all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's like Penn Station getting off there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, for like a whole weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Walking dead if you've never been to Port Authority or Penn Station at night. Uh, I guess my first question about being a GM is I read in an article that when you were young, 
you've always dreamed of being a GM. Why set your bar so low? <laughs> and why didn't you want to be the guy who kicks the penalty that wins the World Cup? You were like, I want to be the guy holding a clipboard going, I'm glad I signed him. <laughs> what happened? Look, I mean, what I mean, did you see? What movie did you see that made you want to do this? You know, so I, I think everyone wants to, to play. Everyone wants to, you know, be the pitcher or catcher for the Yankees or point guard for the Knicks. You're growing up in New York. And right. I think every young kid wants to, who plays sports, wants to be a professional athlete. And, you know, my father coached uh, junior high school basketball at uh, IS183, Paul Robeson. Uh, you know, I grew up around a lot of different sports. Uh, I feel like uh, every morning waking up, I'd come down the steps and, uh, you know, my father would have the, the Daily News, the New York Post, uh, the Times, the, the Journal News. And we were always just thumbing through the box scores, uh, looking through to see, you know, uh, not just who scored, but, you know, but also how they scored. Not just who won, but how they won. And I think just even going through playing, I think if you ask my coaches, uh, I was probably that guy who was really annoying on your team from the standpoint who's always asking questions like, you know, but why? But yeah. why? Mm. You know, so for me, I think uh, I always wanted to play at the highest level I could. Uh, I grew up, you know, in the, in the shadows of Giant Stadium during the, uh, the NASL with the Cosmos heyday in the 70s. But, you know, growing up through high school and college, uh, you know, professional soccer wasn't really an opportunity here in the United States. But, you know, I, I always thought whether it was coaching, whether it was going into management, I was always just so fascinated with not only competing, but understanding, like, how teams win, uh, understanding what players kind of make teams a success. And I think I was just always just super motivated with that. Okay. Yeah. And, and when it comes to, you know, we, we've spoken to a couple of journalists about the just the ins and outs of how a MLS team is constructed. And this is probably a massive question that can't really be answered. We don't have enough time to answer it. But I feel like Mike Jacob <laughs> will answer it if you ask it, though. But, but I, I, I'm curious about uh, just the in the last even few years, the, the, the changes that MLS has implemented in how to build the roster, whether it's GAM, TAM, and all this other stuff. Thank you, well, ma'am. <laughs> as a fan, it can be confusing because we don't know... What's the real money? What's the fake money? What is it? Bitcoin that's being uh, you know transferred between clubs? What, it, it, as a GM, is it? Do you have to like? Is there a manual that you study to make sure that you get everything right, and then you can speak to other GMs in your coded language that only you two understand, or is it is it a, a simpler than we like than we all think? Well, it's one of the only leagues in the world for soccer that has a salary cap. Right. So when you think about other leagues in our country, you think about NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, you know, where it's super common in sports in our country. For our sport, it's very unique. And, you know, there is a competitions guideline. When I first uh, got into working in Major League Soccer, I was the assistant technical director. So I was like Peter Vermees' assistant in Kansas City. Uh, I would uh, go to his house like every couple days with the competitions guideline. And he would ask me kind of just to memorize like cover to cover yeah. the things that were in there. And he also would say jokingly, though, like, you know, make sure you understand it really well because in six months time they're going to change half of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so i mean like uh, i think the fact that it's uh, it has a salary cap and the fact that the mechanisms are so unique it, it's probably as challenging a league in the world uh, as there is to build a team okay now, have you ever seen peter vimi's smile <laughs> I, I tell you he's he is one of the funniest guys and most fun guys to be around i refuse to believe that <laughs> Uh, you know, he is just uh, very serious about his craft, right. very serious about his job. Uh, there's not a more competitive dude that you'll see when he was playing and now coaching. You obviously can tell on the sideline when you see him, but uh, he's dialed in and he's a pretty serious dude on the field. He has a lot of fun away from soccer. Oh, hey. man, we got to hang out with Peter Vermees. What did you think? I'm curious. Because I was thinking about Peter Vermees, the, the legendary, like, meme. He became that, that meme of him well, saying, like, the camera like, caught him. The camera yeah. caught him being like, F off. F off, you remember that? Uh, not only do I remember that, I actually sent it to him like once a month. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you're like, if there was a camera in the conference room, I would be a meme. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I know what game that was. I know what action it was. Right, right, yeah, right. for sure. So, what's, I mean, a, what's such a great moment? And you, you, uh, because we can't hear him. And we just see him. It's better. It's so much better. So much better. <laughs> it's just like there's like uh, uh, it's like a silent film. It's beautiful. <laughs> to to go on on the question uh, Christian asked, the idea of you had the unenviable task of creating a team from scratch. What do you do first? Do you start thinking about all right, who's who's the player that's going to be a pillar in our community that bonds the community with the team? Do you start thinking about designated players first? Do you start thinking about hand players? How do you, what's the first chip that falls? It's interesting because there's so many different ways you can do it. And you look around our league, we've had so many different expansion teams that have been built, uh, you know, obviously in a variety of different ways. And, you know, for Did you us, study FC, FC Cincinnati and go, let's not do that? <laughs> <laughs> look, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, for us, uh, we, you know, I tried to not only look at the teams that had a lot of success, uh, teams that had won early, teams that pursued championships, but also try to look at teams maybe that didn't do so well. And, and you know, the reality is, not just in our sport, in like all sports in our country that have expansion teams, they usually do really poorly initially. Yeah. Like, like really bad. Yeah. Uh, the teams usually don't score a lot. They tend to concede a lot. Again, it's hard to put a roster together, so usually it takes you a couple years to kind of figure out what you're doing. Right. So, you know, for us, I, I think it was important to make sure that we identified, you know, for our ownership, looking at that first, what things were important to them. Uh, you know, the idea of building not only a competitive team, but one that would be sustainable, uh, one that would not just be like, like a one-hit wonder, but one that can have continued success is really important. And, you know, knowing that, we try to think, looking at maybe the best practices among teams that were existing teams, maybe some other expansion teams, not just in our sport, maybe in other sports. You know, I think, uh, you know, most leaders in, in our sport all over the world, they say, well, I want to play like Barcelona or I want to play like Bayern Munich. You know, where I could appreciate that from a sporting standpoint, we also spend a lot of time looking at like other teams and other leagues with salary caps. You know, so to me, I try to think sustained success. What does the Patriots do so well? You know, what is it the Tampa Bay Rays do that they can compete with the Yanks and Red Sox with a much smaller budget? You know, how do teams like Sporting Kansas City, Portland Timbers, the Seattle Sounders year after year, how are they competitive? And for us, you know, we try to create our own best practices from there. And, you know, we, we had a good idea about what things we thought would be important to kind of like the ethos or the core tenants to build a team around. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the things, especially you guys, you guys got off to a good start because even as an expansion team, we're pretty solid. I, we're Defensively, in, very defensive, strong. Yeah, we're NYCFC fans. And I remember the first time NYCFC played uh, Nashville. And I'm like, this is expansion. Why are they defending so well? I mean, it was, there's, there is a confidence. And maybe that you, you can talk about that a little bit. Maybe it comes from like uh, uh, Walker Zimmerman, who is now a designated player. But the, the, the confidence when it comes uh, 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 from Nashville, at least defensively, uh, it seems like that was a, a real tenet to, to building the team. Well, like I mentioned earlier, the fact that expansion teams tend to concede so many goals. Uh, you look at the recent expansion teams and you see the goals conceded per season. Most of the, most of the worst teams defensively in league history were first-year teams. Right. You know, that all got better over time. But you know, for us, I think having a manager that we thought would be sophisticated tactically would understand how to be able to, to impede other teams from scoring while also create chances themselves. You know, the idea of, you know, we looked at several managers in our league, uh, abroad, uh, lower leagues, uh, college. We try to really look at a full base, try to get an idea of what we thought we needed. And, you know, the longer we started looking at, into the idea of what we thought was important for our club, uh, initially I kind of thought it had to be someone who was American, who understood the American player in the American league. As we went along farther and farther, we thought it was less somebody who had to be, like, born in the United States, but more just simply someone who understood our league and player. 
And the fact that we had Gary Smith already in the door with the USL team in Nashville, yeah. the fact that he did one MLS Cup in 2010, you know, quickly became kind of a no-brainer that, that he was the, the obvious choice. Okay. And when you're thinking about setting up a team, was it a decision to make the team structurally so defensive? Was that on purpose? And how do you think – because it seems to me like if you're going to start a, a club in a city that's never had a professional soccer team at this level – You'd want to play more progressive, right? You'd want to be a bit more like how Atlanta was in the beginning. So all, all of a sudden, everyone's scoring, everyone's running like crazy, and that's what draws in a bunch of new fans that maybe have not been fans of the right, sport right. before. Was it a conscious decision to say we're going to be defensive? Well, I hear all the time about, you know, you want to have a team that's going to score a lot of goals. Then I hear you also want to have a team with, with, with famous players who are world-renowned that everyone wants to come see. Right. Uh, for us, in general, we thought that the best way to entertain our fans, to have fans come, was just to win all the time. So yeah. we kind of thought, then, all right, like, what is the best way to win? What a simple technique. <laughs> God forbid, right? <laughs> you know, I like how you don't overcomplicate it. He's like, how about we get three points on the, <laughs> on the table every time? And look, you said you get three points. We also, we, we use this analogy a lot of be, being like card counters at casino. You know, we have right. an idea, like, what kind of number of points you have to have to advance the postseason. You know, so, you know, we had teased a lot about the number of draws we had last year. But, you know, we had enough draws that we ended up, you know, advancing the playoffs. You know, being a top four team, getting to host a playoff game, you know, winning two playoff games, you know, so whatever we did or permutation we used, it, it obviously worked. It worked. Yeah, you know, there's a proof of concept now. And, you know, I, I think for us, you know, we, once we had our manager selected, we carefully looked like positional profiles, what he might look for in certain areas of the field, certain positions, things he might look for technically, tactically, physically, psychologically, and try to build out a team that we thought fit the vision of what he would need to be successful to help him do his job, but also what we thought would have all these other things, maybe these other core tenants, things are important to us. And, you know, I, I think teams that do well defensively have a strong spine to, to build a club. You know, one of our first acquisitions was Anibal Godoy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, played in the last World Cup for Panama, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has played over 100 times for his country. You know, uh, initially, you know, some people scoffed at the idea of bringing him in so early. Uh, you know, it's one of our first signings, uh, you know, how much money we spent to acquire him. We just believed in, in the things he represented as a player, as a person. We just knew he'd be a good fit. And, you know, to, to initially pair him with Dax McCarty, you know, where they hadn't played together previously, they actually played against each other, ironically, in Nashville. Uh, in the Gold Cup when the U.S. played Panama. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, you know, but we just kind of felt like their games just kind of would fit together. And look at the, two th- the things that those two guys provided. They, they really just like puzzle pieces fit really well. And, you know, to have two players like that in midfield to then be able to add the likes of, of Walker Zimmerman, obviously, who's, you know, written a story about himself now. And you see what he's done in the last couple of years, both for our club and for the national team, you know, create this foundation for us to build forward from there. Yeah, I mean, look, and then all players like uh, like CJ, uh, yeah. CJ Sapong, who we, we've had on the show. This Interestingly enough, we, we actually broke the news that CJ was signing with Nashville. I don't know if you are aware of this, but, uh, we, you know, a little, little birdie, told, somebody told us, and they're like, hey, drop, you know, this, is, this news is going to be coming out soon. And because we're clearly not journalists and we are comedians, they saw our account and, and, you know, saying CJ Sapong will be signing with Nashville SC, people lost their mind. They, yeah. they couldn't believe. No one took it seriously at first. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and part you know what? Part of me didn't take it seriously either because part of me was like, what if some deals can fall apart All the last time. second? We're going to look like absolute idiots. Uh, but no, I, it's an honor that we got to be a part of the Nashville story a little bit. 
CJ's killed it. You know, he saw he did last year in, in, in our second season. He helped take us a step further as a club. Not only the amount of goals he scored, he had 12 goals last year, but, uh, you know, the synergy he had with Hani Mukhtar, you know, with those yeah. two guys combined to do up front. And, you know, when you add in the likes of Randall Liao, uh, you know, Ake Loba, uh, you know, you saw Ethan Zubak, uh, Hanwala Bawana, Luke Hackinson the other night against the uh, Atlanta Open Cup. Uh, Teal Bumbry's recovering from an injury. You know, uh, we like the fact that we've got a range of guys, different ages, uh, you know, different skill sets. You know, some guys are more target players. Some guys play in the back shoulder, center backs. Uh, but, you know, we, we think we've got a lot of different tools and a lot of ways we can attack teams. It's a, a dangerous team. I mean, yeah. The, it really is. It, a lot of pieces. As, yeah. It's the, the, as, as a fan of opposing teams, I, I think when I watch Nashville, I'm like, they can defend so well, but why are their defenders a huge threat to score uh, as well? I mean, they, they, there is, uh, I think, and I think maybe that's what leads to Walker Zimmerman getting the contract that he gets because it's not simply uh, that he's going to defend very well. We all know that he can do that, but he can get you, I mean, seven, eight goals a season. That Interesting set piece. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and most center backs in the league are not able to do that. Look, we have a very diverse group offensively, and I think as much is made about how well we defend. I mean, look, we, we had record-setting uh, performances over the last two years defensively, and you know, no one's had more shutouts than we've had over the last two seasons. You know, I think when you see what we're doing defensively, I, I think it kind of overshadows sometimes how good we've been offensively over the last year also. You know, last year we were among the league's leaders in scoring. Uh, second highest uh, uh, goals per game at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, this year we had to play our first eight games in a row. You know, it was some odyssey right, right, to, right, yeah. to get to open, uh, you know, Geodis Park. We had to play our first eight away. And, you know, where we averaged a goal per game offensively in those first eight games, we now have six goals in our three home games. So we're averaging two goals a game at home again. So all of a sudden now, this, like, stingy defensive team is, like, banging in goals for fun. Okay. You know, when I was young, they used to say when you were watching a baseball game, mostly Yankees. My grandfather used to listen to Yankee games because he's from Cuba, and that's how you listen. So listen to Phil Rizzuto on the radio. Yeah, yeah. So he would, <laughs> well, he would listen to Spanish. But yeah, he would only, like, I'd be watching, and he'd be sitting there standing next to it. I'm like, you know, the picture's right here. <laughs> but one of the things that always used to confuse me was the announcer would say, if you're keeping score at home, you seem like the guy who was. <laughs> like, you had the index card, right. and you're keeping score. Were you? Have yeah. you ever done that? Yeah, when I was at you know, Yankee Stadium or Shea, I always got a scorebook, a scorecard. I was always keeping track. Right. I knew it! <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, like, uh, you know, 6-4, 3 dog play. You know, I, I knew not only the out, you know, how it was constructed. And yeah, we kept track of that kind of stuff all the time. Dude, I used to see the guys do that at Yankee Stadium. I'm like, why are they doing homework, man? These guys are too old to be in <laughs> They were always old dudes, you know? I was, yeah. I was the geeky kid next to the old dude. who was. And they had, like, the little, the one ear radio because they were listening to it yeah. as well it's wild so how so would that carry over to your your uh general management style when it comes to building a roster or looking at the the results of your roster are you are you looking at those uh, uh goals per Saber game metric kind X, of thing xg money ball like how, how much of a factor is that when uh when you look at you your play squad? football manager <laughs> <laughs> you know uh Absolutely a Moneyball theorist, and I think because of a, a book or a movie, I think sometimes it gets glamorized and maybe something it might not necessarily be. And, yeah. you know, the reality is I think if you understand the principles that go along with it, you know, I, I think at, at the core you're trying to, you know, acquire the undervalued, you know, and, and you use data to be able to determine what the value is. And, you know, we've done, a, I, I think, a successful job as a staff identifying players maybe on other rosters that we thought in our team uh, in this setting, whether it's the system we play, the, the manager we have, 
have the players we put around them that they'd have a lot of success. And you see guys like Dave Romney, who was LA Galaxy, mm-hmm. Alex Wheel, who was at New York Red Bulls. Uh, you know, like Ethan Zubak scored the other day. You know, he was a reserve for LA Galaxy. You know, uh, you know each of these guys. Maybe Huge we, goal. Yeah, yeah, maybe we were able to identify some things about them using some some data sources. You know, the idea of analytics is not just about numbers. You know, it's information. You know, so for us, I think we've got a, a, a really a diverse staff from the standpoint that look at the game a lot, lot differently with different lenses. And and because of that, I think we're able to make like like really like informed decisions. Okay, you when you see Toronto FC. And the, I believe their general manager came out and said, well, I went on transfermarket.com and I clicked on players whose contracts are running out <laughs> and I saw Insigne, so he emailed his agent. <laughs> when you see that and then everything you just said, you've got <laughs> charts and red string. <laughs> yeah, you got red string on everything. You, do you think to yourself sometimes like, hey, I guess it could be, you know, you could skin a cat both ways? Look, every team's different, you know, so to me, rather than spend time talking about what other teams do or don't do, you know, yeah, focus yeah. on what we do, you know. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, I just think, you know, our league is complicated. You right. know, uh, I, I find it interesting sometimes that you have some ownership groups, especially with new teams, that they'll get with a search firm and say, we need to bring somebody in from overseas. I got to bring someone who doesn't understand our league. And again, every team is different. Every club's mission is different. But, you know, knowing how long it takes to, to understand how vast our country is, you know, you see players who come in from Europe well past their prime and they're like, wait a second, wait, wait you play in what temperature? In yeah, August? Yeah. And we have to fly six hours? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> look, uh, in 2020, when we resume play after COVID, we landed in Dallas on the tarmac. We get off the tarmac, it's 102 degrees. Uh, kicked off. It was 100 degrees. Wow. Uh, Hani Mukhtar, who, who was German, you know, and, and had come from Denmark. Right. You know, uh, uh, you know, he says to me, we're standing on tarmac. He said, other than a sauna, figure out playing. He said he's never actually even, even felt, experienced. Yeah. yeah. Like that before. He's like, why are we being tortured? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so, so I, I just think sometimes when it comes to players coming from different countries, I, I get how fans expect immediate results. And then when you spend certain amounts of money, when you have players who've had certain pedigrees or CVs in other leagues, there's always be certain expectations. But you have to be realistic also that, I mean, every country is different. Every league is different. Yeah. And, you know, for players coming from abroad, I mean, this is as unique a country and league as there is anywhere in the world. What is the one thing that you would say to an aspiring, a young, a young lad out there who wants to be a GM when he grows up, just like you did? <laughs> What's if, if you are managing, you're starting an MLS club from scratch. What's the one, I don't know, is it a golden bullet? Like, what's the smart move? Is it to get a couple of TAM guys? Like, what's the smart, is it get a big DP player? What is the one thing you would say, like, if you do this, you can then build around it? And I don't want to hear, like, the inspire, inspiration, none of that. <laughs> what's, like, the money move? You know what I mean? Well, look, uh, I think it's easy to say we're going to spend a lot of money on somebody who's going to score a ton of goals. Right. But the reality is, you know, the simplest terms, I mean, if you score, you should win. If, right. you know, if you don't concede, like, you'll never lose. Right. Right? You know, so, I mean, like, like literally. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> I'm not a mathematician, but, you know, I mean, yeah. like, that's kind of how it works, you know. So, you know, to me, I think... For us, we were fortunate in how we built things out with having a you know, really strong spine down the middle. We kind of felt that we could make sure we'd be hard to score against. We could then create, manufacture, and develop a, a, you know, an attacking impetus. And I think that you know, year one, we were able to do that. And because of that, I think year two and year three, we've been really more dynamic offensively. Hmm. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, the stadium. Obviously, uh, the, the home opener uh, was at Philadelphia Union and ended up uh, 1-1. Uh, but the... 
I, what, the, just the, getting to experience that, that feeling like for you to, to, to open a stadium. Uh, and it, I mean, it's one of those stadiums where uh, there's been a couple that we've gone to uh, opening days. Seems but, like everyone's getting a stadium except our. Club. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it's one where like, oh, this, this seems to be a match day that people got to go to. So, uh, but what was it like getting to open that stadium? We were saying off air, you know, I was saying, you know, like, I was saying half joking, half serious. I mean, I laugh with friends about the fact that I just can't believe I get to do this for a living, you know, growing yeah. up, talking about like running, like watching all these things and now get a chance to have a role as a general manager and in a professional soccer franchise in our country. And my wildest dreams, one, to think that you can do that here in the United States, but two, to be somewhere where, where the team is that important. Uh, my, my, uh, my daughter who lives in the Upper East Side, uh, she visited last summer with her boyfriend and you know, I took them downtown to kind of show them around. And we were stopped at a red light, and there were two fans wearing, like, a gold jersey. So one wearing a Zimmerman jersey, one wearing a Mukhtar jersey. Yeah. And he turns to me, and he's like, he's like, yo, he's like, Mr. Jacobs, he's like, you guys are like the Knicks here, the Yankees here. Yeah. Yeah. And I was saying, like, you know, that to me is just surreal to think, like, in our market we could be so important. And, you know, uh, growing up going to basketball games in the Garden, uh, you know, I was uh, at the, the elimination game, unfortunately, against the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Trey, Trey Young is balding. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I hope you were booing him. Yeah. By the way, he ain't he ain't allowed in Nashville either. Trey. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't come in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but Mike on side talk. Yeah. <laughs> Bing bong. <laughs> but look, you know, like, but uh, uh, to to know what the vibe is like, how loud it is in the garden. I'm telling you, it's not even like a, like a hypothetical. Like for sure, Geodis Park it is the loudest venue in Major League Soccer. Really? Uh, you know, to me, like like a, you know, it's one thing to say that. It's one thing to aspire for that. To have a building that'll be miserable for visiting teams to play in is right. awesome. Uh, I love the feeling that to me it, it is like the Garden from the standpoint that like uh, it is just so loud and vibrant. You ask our players what it was like. I mean, uh, I want to get there early that day, the very first game, because I want to kind of be able to take it all in before people got there. I was there at like ten fifteen in the morning. You know, we kicked yeah, up yeah. three. <laughs> I just wanted to be there. You're and mowing the lawn. <laughs> I, I, I want to be down in the field. I want to be in the locker room. I kind of wanted to see everything. Uh, I don't like to be around too much when the players are around. I think like uh, you know, some people try to insert themselves. I would say it's like a, a game's almost like a Broadway show. You know, it's like a production. And I think right. when the lights go on, a lot of people kind of want to be in the middle of it all. You know, and have to be about them. Like for sure, I, I, I for sure know where I stand from the standpoint that like I'm very peripheral. Uh, to me, the game is about like the eleven guys in the field and your manager. Uh, so even like on match day, like uh, if players are around, I wanted to be down there the first day in the locker room, kind of just to see their reactions, to wish them good luck. Uh, I try to get out of there real fast. I just don't like being around. Like uh, uh, they need to do their thing. They need to do that, focus on the match. They don't need anyone else there around to do that. But uh, to hear how loud the stadium was, and you know the the, the fans, that, you know they call it the castle, you know. And I think like uh, uh, for this vibrant fan base to have a home, there are cool things about the stadium. To me, the coolest thing is now we've got a home for our fans. Okay. Well, what kind of what, what do you do game day? Are you like in a suite? Do you watch the match, or you you messing with the shrimp cocktail, or are you like? <laughs> Pacing the the like the, the the concourse the concourse or are you like pitch side? Do you like to walk around? How do you take in a game? How does Mike Jacobs take in a Nashville SC home match? So I get there really early, uh, you know, and it's less because I've got a lot of responsibilities at the match. I think it's more that I'm just uh, like nervous energy. I think I would drive my girlfriend nuts if I was around for like five hours before the game, right? <laughs> hanging around her, you know, um, you know. So usually I'm kind of by myself up in the, the box that I sit in. Uh, I, I'm also like a serial Red Bull drinker, you know, so uh-huh. I probably have about 
10 run bowls on game, game day also. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm already wound up. That. Let's stop that as soon as possible. I gotta be honest, yeah. much. I'm pretty worried about you now that you said this. I feel like you should mess with the shrimp cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get, get a nice bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you made it. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm already wound up enough, you know, yeah. and I talk real fast, so I don't need the extra caffeine. But, How do them Nashville boys handle your New York energy? Because you are... The, the more comfortable you've gotten here, the faster you've talked and the more your, your accents come out. How do they handle? Because we're seen as aggressive everywhere else in this country where we're like, what are you talking about? We're, yeah. we're relaxed. <laughs> how do they how do these like, you know, these southern boys handle you? I, I was telling a buddy today that uh, when you think I listen to sports talk radio, which I, it's awesome to be home and listen to that, you know, because everyone's like miserable fans, like, right, uh, like right. young at the, at the announcers on the radio. <laughs> but like uh, uh, I, I think it's not just about winning in New York. I think for sure every, every fan base, every city probably wants their team to win. But New York, New Yorkers don't expect their teams to win, but expect them to win a certain way. You know, mm-hmm. expect them to, to play like a, you think like teamwork. Uh, I feel like I was born and raised on these Knicks teams with Clyde Frazier and Willis Reed and Dave DeBusher. You know, so it's not, only, it's not only winning, but, you know, how they share the ball, how they move the ball around, playing together as a group. And, and then I think it's how tough they are. You know, you think about whether it's, uh, you know, Willis Reed taking on the whole Lakers team in a fight to Pat Riley's teams in the mid-90s. You, oh, know, yeah. uh, you know, you're supposed to kind of to fight and compete. And I think for us, I think uh, whether it's having New Yorkers like Alex Wheel or Taylor Washington, uh, whether it's... You know, having people, I think, embody those same qualities, you know, like uh, Dax McCarty or Annabelle Godoy, like a Walker Zimmerman or a Sean Davis or a CJ Sapong. You know, I mean, these guys, they roll their sleeves up. They play with a chip on their shoulder. And I think maybe uh, maybe I talk a little faster or get a little more wound up than those guys do. But I also kind of feel like most of them carry the same qualities that, that I want to have in a player or team. Right. Dax is scrappy, bro. He drank a lot of water when he was out here. <laughs> he's scrappy. I know he's not from New York, but he damn near plays like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to ask, uh, we were talking about the stadium, but the, the tweet from People about Reese Witherspoon, obviously one of the uh, owners uh, of Nashville SC, but they, uh, the tweet that they put was, uh, you know, congratulating the Tennessee Titans soccer team at <laughs> Reese, Wither- Reese Witherspoon at the Tennessee. T- uh, what was that uh, internally when when people saw that tweet? Because this is what we deal with Did in you American smack soccer. Like Thirty empty Red Bull cans <laughs> off the table. <laughs> <laughs> because this is how you know you've made it in American soccer when when media completely either disregards, disrespects, or just doesn't does not, Google does not acknowledge <laughs> what this team is about. Look, it was People Magazine, right? So right. It's a bit of a rag. You know, so I mean, like, I don't know that, like, I'm going there for my source of sports news, <laughs> right? You know, but look, uh, uh, Ian Ayers, our CEO, and he's also one of my closest friends, and you know, you know, he ran Liverpool for ten years, and he talked about what the media was like in England, the scrutiny that that they were under on a daily basis, and you know, to me, again, growing up like with the New York sports media. Uh, if people are talking about our team, whether it's critically, whether it's positively, uh, you know, I, I feel so humbled the fact that like we're that important. People are right. talking about us, and I, I think it's our responsibility to give them something positive to talk about. Right. I don't like hearing if that someone doesn't like a player on our team or if our team doesn't win. But I'm also down with the fact that like it's our responsibility to give them something to talk about. So if they want to talk about the Tennessee Titans soccer <laughs> team, I mean, I think that's ridiculous. You know, I'm not buying a People magazine anytime soon. But you know, but I, I think you know, I think our fans and fans of soccer in our country, you know, they know what National SC is all about. Can I make a suggestion? Go for it. Make a fake Tennessee Titans soccer team kit. Okay. 
Right? Maybe <laughs> you guys can play around with the Tennessee Titans a little bit. It's good content. Yeah, because the, the, the Titans did retweet it, and I forgot what they retweeted, but people eventually deleted the tweet. Uh, just own it, right? Own up to the, the, the mistake. It's a lot more fun. Look, Derrick Henry is also a minority owner with our club. Yeah. Uh, he is the largest human I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, during the expansion draft, uh, he, he presented one of our picks. Uh, when he went on the stage, it was like it was like an eclipse. It was like all light, just like evaporating. <laughs> he's a large dude, so I mean, uh, anything Tennessee Titans. If he's in that group. Uh, I'm down with that. Totally. See, I, you might remember a Tiki Barber. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a Giants fan or Jets? I was kind of like a agnostic. I didn't have agnostic. You didn't pick one. Yeah. Uh, first time I met him, he's a little bit shorter than me. I was like, oh, you ain't that big, dude. I guess I could be a running back. <laughs> and I pat him on the back, and my hand was swollen for three days. <laughs> it's this brick wall. Is this man's body? I'm like, I can't. I was at first. I was like. I can't believe you run into these monstrous human beings, you know, at, at fast speeds. And then I was like, oh, they should be worried about you. You're a bowling ball. 100%. It's insane. All right. I'm not built that way. I'm very cushy, <laughs> very soft. Uh, Mike, we have a couple uh, questions from, uh, from fans. This is uh, uh, our Gully Squad is our, our supporters group, okay? Uh, so we have one here from uh, Dennis Higgins. I love this because you kind of brought this up. Yeah. Uh, so he asked the question, which one of your players best embodies the spirit of Nash Vegas, which uh, is, I've, I've heard this before. Initially, I thought it was like a TV show, but no. There's some- it does sound like a TV show that's only on USA Network, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it was embodying like the idea of Nash Vegas. Yeah. Nash Vegas to me is like Broadway, uh, rooftop bars, bachelorette parties, pedal taverns. Right. You know, I think it's like glitz, like glitz and glamour, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, you is know, pedal tavern those like eight people on the bikes drinking? I, I think you can't be sober to be on one of those. And I, I think you have to be a bachelorette. I, I would tell you it's a unicorn if you found a sober person on those. Yeah, I, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, but I yeah. mean, they're great. I think, you know, as long as people go on them, it's awesome. They city, definitely yeah. don't have those in New York. That would be no, you get horrific. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. one of those in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Bronx? Yeah. That would be chopped up to eight different bikes. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Did, or did you mention who? A player? Yeah, I mean, it's, to me, I, I think when you think of, like, let's glamour and our team, it's got to be Hani Mukhtar, you know? And yeah, think, yeah. Uh, you know, you see the whether it's the way he styles his hair, you know, whether it's the way he salutes the fans, you know, I think uh, everything about him emanates. I think like, uh, you know, the, the, the celebrity, the, the, the glitz and glamour about Nash Vegas. You yeah. Know, they used to say like wide receivers, you want one who wants the spotlight. You want one, yeah. You want one who's like, no, give me the ball, mm-hmm. you know, who enjoys that. When I see Hani Mukhtar, I'm like, this kid loves when the lights are on him, man. <laughs> oh, when he scores, he's like, bathe me with your applause. He does, uh, he does the salute, right? He salutes yeah. the fans. He yeah. salutes the fans. Yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, he's clearly like embraced that, like, uh, you know, there's, there's clearly, uh, you know, you know, we have captains on every team, but there's, you know, the guy, the guy, he's the guy, and and that's just even, you know, I, I when I first heard the name Hani Mukhtar, I'm like, I don't, I don't know who this guy is, uh, but when he arrived in in Major League Soccer, I mean, he's he's already had some of the best goals uh, in his, during his time here. I mean, the the, the uh, as far as just him adapting to uh, this league, it seems like there's been no issue. Uh, at all, I, uh, what what have uh, those are all the same sizes, right? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything that has led to that, as far as uh, uh, you know, make, giving him the most welcoming environment to uh, succeed, or is this guy just special? It's funny because when you look at people around the league, I think they tend to associate how good a DP is by like how expensive their transfer fee is right. or how much their wages is. You know, we bought Hani for 
2.85 million. You know, that's a fraction of what most teams spend on designated players. Mm-hmm. So I think the you know, initial thought is, well, Nashville's not spending money, or Nashville's not going to not going to dip their toe in the water when it comes to bringing big players in. You know, Honey was the player of the year in a league came over from. Uh, most players who come from Europe come well past their prime. To have someone come here at age 24, I think, is very unique. You know, Hani is a youth international for Germany, represented them at the U19, U21 levels. He's played for them in the Euros, you know. So, I mean, like, you know, at the youth levels. And, you know, I, I think year one for him, it, it took some time. I mentioned before, there's an adaptation period you go through. Not only is it a different league, a different climate. Remember, also, he came here during COVID. You know, he, he yeah. played yeah. two matches. And then, you know, this kid who comes here from, you know, Scandinavia – you know, his family's not with him. He's kind of on his own. You know, he's now, you know, holed up in an apartment, you know, trying to, to figure out what he's doing in the United States, you know, where he is. You know, so I think to go Probably through... like, who's playing all these banjos? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, I think to go through all of that and then to just absolutely kill it last year. I mean, I think people are seeing, you know, who he really is as a player. And you, know, you said it before also, I, I think he embraces, like when the bright lights come on, I think, you know, he's one of those kids that I think, uh, you know, the bigger the game, the better he is. Yeah, he just seems like it. Uh, this is Austin W. who asked a couple of questions, but I love his first one. Uh, how does how does he uh, how do you measure the success of your signings? It, what is it? When do you start to feel the the stress? You know, of a signing. Is it immediately? Is there something? Do you give yourself a certain amount of? Of leeway, how do you assess your signings? I mentioned some like Hani. You know, I mentioned uh, about the adaptation period a player goes through. Sometimes, everyone's going to benchmark success in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately for us, we want to have players who are going to influence winning. So, uh, you know, every position, every role is different, but we've got different, you know, maybe metrics we use to benchmark each person's performance. Uh, you know, what we're expecting from them on a game-to-game basis. You know, and then you know, everyone's kind of different as far as how much time they might need. To, to settle in. And, you know, I think players who come from countries that aren't English-speaking, there can be challenges. Uh, for us in year one, we went into the 2020 season saying we were going to make sure our locker room was almost exclusively only English and Spanish-speaking. And that wasn't to be discriminant of any other culture as much as the fact it's about starting a team from scratch. We want to make sure our whole group could communicate with each other. Right. You know, and, you know, we had players who were French-speaking also. Uh, you know, we had players, you mentioned, who were primarily Spanish-speaking, but most of them were bilingual. Uh, we offered intensive English la- uh, language lessons to our players who were, who were primarily Spanish-speaking. We also had a intensive Spanish language lessons to our players and staff who were primarily English-speaking. You know, so I, I think you know you got to be honest with the fact that what it might take players coming from a different culture, uh, and that culture isn't just how your team plays, but the language you speak, the food you used to use, eating, uh, right. you know, the, the the climate you're playing in. There's a lot of factors that go into that, right? Because I'm not playing if you don't got Doritos. You know what I mean, <laughs> I'm not doing it. it I, I'm curious, Mike. How's your Spanish? Speak of, you know, I be, I'm sure it, uh, coming from New York, uh, then being around soccer, what's, uh, you, you put the, the players under some, uh, you know, uh, Spanish you, lessons. Were you the teacher in the intensive <laughs> Spanish speaking? Okay. You know, un poquito, you know. <laughs> yes. Okay. Senor, Senor Jacobs? <laughs> Look, especially, you know, when you're recruiting in Spanish speaking countries, uh, you know, to me, I, I think the idea of telling a player they're important. Talk before about the idea about maybe acquiring the undervalued. If you're going to value someone, you know, how do you tell someone they're important, but then learn my language? Yeah, you're important, but then you got to fit in. Yeah, you know, I think it's our job to make sure everyone feels welcome. And you know, for us, whether it's learning the language, uh, I can tell you, uh, I understand it way better than speak it. 
you know, my, my kids joke sometimes I'm like on a third or fourth grade reading level when it comes to speaking Spanish. Yeah. But also, you know, I did over 500 days of Duolingo and, you know, we did, uh, uh, you know, Vanderbilt University. You know, we did some, uh, some stuff with them, with our, with our staff. And I was involved yeah. in that also. And you know, I just think it's our responsibility to make sure that you can communicate with your players. And it's a huge advantage, obviously, in, uh, in this game, building a team, building trust uh, with, with players that you have, with players that you're, that you're trying to sign. So, yeah, I, I encourage it as much as possible. Huge. Um, uh, all right. You, you got a next question, Alexis? Um, yeah. Uh, this is also from uh, Austin W. Any decisions that you've learned from in the past, good or bad? And I, 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 maybe I'll, I'll change that a little bit to say, like, what's, a, what's an early mistake that you may have made when you were an assistant or that you saw that you thought to yourself, you know, I'm not going to do that when I'm a GM. And then maybe it happened or, or you, you managed to avoid it. We, we look at a lot of case studies from other teams in our league and other leagues, other teams, other sports, and then we use those case studies to try to create our own best practices. You know, so we look and try to see, based on what someone did, either don't do that or tweak that. And you know, I think initially what I was probably most surprised about, having coached in college, I, mean, I coached in college for over 20 years, and you know, the idea of going abroad to recruit somebody, I'd rather waste a thousand, two thousand dollars on a flight in a hotel to see someone's not good enough and not get them a scholarship then just watch a video of somebody, sign him on a scholarship, and be stuck with a bad player. Right. Um, blown away at times, and I think the, the league's gotten more sophisticated, but I think there were sure was a time in our league where you know management and coaches would take a flyer on players they saw once in video or saw a YouTube video. And right. you know for us, I would just say, you know, we're, we're just not going to sign anybody unless we've seen them personally. Uh, in most cases, actually in all cases, until we've spoken to them personally. You know, with an hour league, you know, you can't talk to players in an interleague trade until after a trade's done. But in most cases also, I mean, I always say that players in our league, especially the American domestic players, and the experience I had coaching college or in youth, uh, our staff, I mean, my assistant general manager, Ali McKay, was a former agent, our, a director of player personnel, Chance Myers, former player in the league. Uh, between those guys, myself, a uh, manager who coached MLS, I think probably like I said once, I think it was 88% like domestic players. We either had uh, coached coached against, recruited, watched as a youth player in high school, in college, as well as in MLS. So I think we just knew so much about them. Yeah. There was less wiggle room, you know, less margin of error. Okay. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious. You mentioned the, the highlight videos on YouTube. What's the, maybe you don't have to say maybe what's the worst one, but we've heard some terrible music on these videos. I can imagine as a GM, you have had, have heard the worst techno music over these <laughs> soccer videos. Anyone that, uh, is there anything you want to say maybe to people that want to send a video uh, as far as like what should be included and, uh, you know, better music at the very least? Well, I say if you're sending it to me, like I, I'm not from Jersey or from the shore, you don't have to have like, this <laughs> pumping and type music. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm really cool having none rather than having yeah. some. Yeah, uh, right, right. You know, like, uh, you know, I, I just think that, you know, the idea of getting a highlight tape, I mean, those are all the things players do well. I mean, a lot of times we watch stuff, we want to see them make mistakes and see right. they respond to them. You know, uh, when it comes to things like maybe like defending in transition or you've given the ball away or someone's good away near you, like what's your first reaction? Is it to put your head down? Is it to, you know, is it to strut, you know, or is it to work back to get the ball back or work back behind the ball? And, you know, sometimes you can't see those things unless you see them screw up first. Nice. <laughs> okay. Also, pick different music. Throw Adele in there, dude. <laughs> Switch it up a little bit. Do not. <laughs> send me any videos with Adele on yeah. <laughs> Okay, don't switch sure. it up, dude. Why are you listening to me? Actually, I do think of myself as a hidden genius, okay? I got an idea, okay? I don't know if this will work. Maybe it will. I've had some other genius ideas, uh, like, uh, you know, maybe get a, a FIFA video game where the player can only play as their own position, 
right? <laughs> and they just, that's all they do? I told them it was ridiculous, so please, you can tell I them. I think it's genius. <laughs> but I would say as a hidden genius, I would keep that stuff hidden. Keep it hidden. Yeah. Keep it hidden. I think it's too, I think it's too good. There, there's some special ideas you should just keep to yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I, I have a, a, a question here. I did, I, this will be our last one. Uh, and this is a, a, a bit of a, a roast of a question as well. But this is, this is from Kyle Ritchie. He's a Philadelphia Union fan. Obviously, uh, uh, Nashville lost in the playoffs to the, the Philadelphia Union. So he asked this question. Feel free to answer it or do not answer it. <laughs> answer however you like. But he, he said, how much money did they spend in the offseason for a penalty kick coach? So it's a little bit of, <laughs> a, little, a, bit of a jab. But that was a, that was a tough uh, uh Obviously, a tough way to go out. I mean, losing in penalties is, is is frustrating. But what what do you remember about that? Frustrating for game? everyone at this. At, of course, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, Philly's a really good side, and uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Curtin, uh, Ernst Tanner. Uh, I really like their group a lot. I think uh, how they put their team together and how their team plays. Uh, you know, Philly's a hard place to play in general. I mean, look, I mean, their fans throw snowballs at Santa Claus. Right, right. You know, like, uh, um, There's a jail in their football stadium. Yeah, you know, look, I mean, uh, uh, I, I like going places where people boo us or hate us. You know, uh, look, I, I love the idea of being a bad guy. So every time we come in, if you want to boo them, boo me. I think it's great. Right, right. You know, uh, you know look, to have to play against Andre Blake is hard enough. Staff would do it in pens is even more challenging. Uh, to me, best goalkeeper in the league. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him and uh, you know what he's done in our league also, and as well as what he's done abroad. You know, having to you know to stop penalties for Hani Mukhtar than Annabelle Godoy. I think if if just about anybody else was picking people to shoot for our team, you'd pick both those guys. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like uh, I, I think clearly they were guys who should have been selected, and, I, and credit to, to Blake for making saves. No, I, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of stress that goes along with taking penalties. And I was a goalkeeper. Uh, my mother, you know, uh, she used to hate watching penalties because you say about the pressure on the goalkeeper. Uh, I used to love it because there's no pressure on the goalkeeper. Okay. Uh, I've got 100%. You're supposed to score. Yeah, you're 12 yeah. yards out, you're a goalkeeper. It's like a free throw. You know, so to me, there's no pressure on a goalkeeper. So, which I've know. said before, and someone called me crazy. So I'm glad you no, said 100%. that. I'm like, it's yeah. there. They're the ones who are trying to score. They're supposed to score. Yeah. You know, so I mean, like, uh, you know, for Blake to score to, for us to have two guys miss the target. Uh, I, I think I think it looks way easier than it is. Uh, I, I think to get up there in front of a rowdy crowd behind, you know, you know really the best goalkeeper in our league, uh, you know, in a game where it's it's a cup game where you have to hit those to win. You know, I, I think it looks easier than it is. And I think, uh, what was his name, Kyle? Kyle, yeah. Yeah, Randall Leal did okay this, two weeks ago when we had to take a penalty. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we're good, yeah. So. <laughs> well said. Well I said. do want to ask one more question, just, and it's a yes or no, uh, but heat maps, they're bullshit, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're an actual thing. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I guess it all depends. Again, maybe how you benchmark your players. Uh, you know, our uh, director of strategy analytics uh, is Oliver Miller Farrell, and you know, he talks a lot sometimes about like what data people use. You know, uh, you know how. You know, I think everyone's gonna look at different things. You know, the idea like time of possession. You know, some people look at that as like it's an important stat. Some people say it's completely worthless. Right. You know, I mean, I, I actually find our team does better when we have less of the ball then we have a lot of it. Right. Uh, you know, heat maps, I mean, I think it shows you how much a player runs around. I mean, it's also possible players could be just running around like, like, like a chicken. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, so Every I, once in a while, they'll be like, hey, look at, I'm an Arsenal supporter. They'll be like, look at Bukayo Saka's heat map. I'm like, this didn't tell me anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, look, you know, we've got like Sean Davis, you know, who, I mean, if, if he had a paintbrush tacked to his, to his uh, 
to his waistband, and he'd paint the whole field. Right. You know? So he's yeah. everywhere. You know? So I think it's case by case. And I think for some players, it's probably really relevant. I think for other players, it might be one of those, like those, those hidden type ideas, kind of yeah. keep it on the side. Keep it hidden. Yeah. yeah. I got a bunch. Well, I think I, after having a long conversation with you, what we've learned that is that if Alexis and I were GMs of a team, uh, we'd run it based less on data and more on just vibes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Also, they would probably present relegation to get our club out. <laughs> <laughs> just because we would be horrific. <laughs> Uh, but Mike, this has been an absolute honor. Thank you for taking the time and uh, you know answering some of our either uh, intelligent and ridiculous questions. Right. Uh, Speak but for yourself, mine were all very intelligent. <laughs> the hidden genius <laughs> delivered today. <laughs> uh, but no, this has been uh, super super cool. It's like you know we actually it helped us learning about and I think a lot of the audience as well about what it, what it really takes to like just run a team and and it where I'm. I'm sort of realizing that there there's more complexity in it i think than probably some other leagues you know i think you you hear how uh teams are built in 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 other leagues and there's a lot of like passion for the club and and which all those things are relevant but it it seems to be that that's how they sell it you know what i mean like they they focus on just the 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 emotion around it when there's really a lot of work being done behind the scenes uh to to build a strong team yeah, look, at, you know, uh, I remember reading a quote from Ozzie Newsom, who was the general manager at, at the time with the Baltimore Ravens, and talked about the fact that he thought his job was to keep his team in the playoffs every year. You know, it's like a tournament, you know, and once you get in a tournament, you know, in our sport, seven teams get in each conference. You get a one in seven chance of going to the dance, the MLS Cup. Yeah. So for me, if we keep building a team that allows our coach the opportunity to get to the playoffs, be above the line, you know, then we're doing our job. Right, right, right. Is there anything you want to let people know? Is there anything you want? Uh, you could drop your social. You could drop your, the ticket link for, <laughs> for season tickets. Anything you want to say? Is there anything you want to let the fans know? You know, Jodis Park's been selling out like crazy. They don't need any help from me to promote it. You yeah. know, I think, uh, uh, you know, social, I try to stay off of that as much as possible. I am reading articles and stuff like that, but I try not to get too much involved in, uh, um, you know, tweeting back and forth to people. Right. You know, right. uh, <laughs> less about Knickerbockers, and I'm all in with that, you know. Yeah, like, dude. Uh, we gotta, I got to start hitting you up with <laughs> the Knicks, bro. I'm I'm a massive fan. <laughs> Look, it's uh, you know, uh, I think the idea I mentioned earlier. I think the chance to be doing something like this, uh, you know, in some ways, it, it's it's surreal to think to get a chance to to help build a team, run a team, to assist a, a coach in putting a group together to to be a professional sports franchise and in an MLS. It's just it's a dream come true. Awesome. Well done. Yeah, we got to go down to Nashville, hang out in the uh, in the GM box. Let's go, man. <laughs> Maybe just start dropping some some of these hidden genius gems. You know, <laughs> no, it's beautiful to see, especially you know, uh, uh, being New Yorkers and, and, and seeing somebody from New York. Uh, you know, New York doesn't get to necessarily represent the American soccer community. It's New Jersey usually, right? Yeah. Uh, but so it, it's awesome to see. So, but but Mike, thank you so much uh, for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Right.